in the summer we do summer psalms, and we're in our second week of, uh, of doing that this year. We got a late start with the book of Acts, going a little longer than we initially anticipated. But uh, if you've got your Bible, open up to Psalm 44. <clears throat> we'll be there today. And uh, as you're going there, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of these psalms actually have some little details written before them, and they tell us who wrote the psalm or what the context of it, uh, things of that nature. Uh, this particular psalm mentions that it is a masculine. That's probably not a word you use very often in your vocabulary. Uh, it means artistic song, uh, meaning it was written with great skill and thoughtfulness, which is interesting because you kind of assume they all were. Um, but it marks it that way, and, and you'll kind of see the way it has a really distinct way it's been written. Uh, it also tells us the authors, and uh, David, you know, that's one you're familiar with. Solomon, we, we know, but, but do you know the author of Psalm 44? Uh, right there, if you look, you're going to see them listed as the sons of Korah. <clears throat> well, uh, Korah was a cousin of, of Aaron and Moses, and so uh, they have that relationship. And Korah was actually a, a very prideful man, and he thought that he would be a better leader than Moses and, and Aaron. And so he led this rebellion against them, and that rebellion ends up failing, and many died, including Korah himself. Uh, however, his family lived on. And then many years later, after the temple is, is built and they're preparing for worship, different, different family lines were given different responsibilities to, to serve in the temple. And First Chronicles records those for us. And, and there we see that Aaron's descendants were to take care of the sacrifice, sacrifices, to be the priest. Uh, and Asaph and, and Heman's children, yeah, Heman's, uh, were assigned to provide uh, music that would be sung in God's house. And it speaks of that. Even in First Chronicles 25.1, it says they're to do so with, with lyres and harps and with cymbals. And so that was their job. And then you have the sons of, of Korah. And, and these people were assigned to be the doorkeepers of the temple. <clears throat> that means basically you open the door and, and you shut the door at the right times. It's one of those jo jobs that... Uh, not real visible, no one saw it, you don't hear a whole lot about these people, but it was still very necessary for the worship of, of God to go on. And so uh, these are people that are serving in a not very glamorous spot, uh, but they consider it an absolute privilege to be in the house of the Lord worshiping him. Uh, and we see that in their psalms uh, that they've written. So uh, they wrote 11 psalms and... Psalm 44, our psalm today, is one of those 11 psalms. So uh, this psalm is divided into three clear sections, and we're going to read it that way, not to save time uh, today, but because that's the way that we're best going to experience the way it was originally written. Uh, remember that skillfully written part of it? <clears throat> so uh, we'll start with the first eight verses. Psalm 44, verses 1 through 8 to start with. O oh God... We have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, <clears throat> for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes, and have put to shame those who hate us. 
In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, we are here, and yet at times our minds have wandered somewhere else. Would you draw our focus into the psalm today? Would you teach us? Would you change us? And might we gain a better understanding of who you are and how it is we do and should relate to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these first eight verses that we've seen so far, there is this remembering of past victories. They, they're giving God glory. They're acknowledging that it wasn't by their own power. It wasn't by their own strength uh, that these things have been accomplished, not by their weapons, but by the power uh, of God uh, that their ancestors have actually conquered the enemies to be where they are today. And, and in verse 3, they say that they believe that God gave them victory because God delighted in them as his people. See, this, this passage is describing this moment in history where uh, God led Israel to take the promised land of, of Canaan. Uh, there, the, the people fought this battle, but God gave the victory. And over and over again in this portion, we're seeing just that. And in verse 4, uh, we even see here that they genuinely are affirming, God, you're, you're our king. And they're asking him to ordain victory for Jacob. Jacob here uh, is just another word for Israel, to, to ordain victory for their nation. And this whole section then is just this praise of God for what he has done for them in the past. God, you have saved us from our enemies. God, you have put to shame those who are our foes, those who hate us. And then in verse 8, we read those beautiful words. In God, we have boasted continually. And we will give thanks to your name forever. They're saying, God, we've told everyone how great you are. And we're going to continue to tell everyone how great you are. Um, I think, honestly, most of us do not boast in God enough today. Uh, We're we're, we're quick to give credit to our own strength, our our own intelligence, and often we are slow to boast uh, of God to fellow Christians, let alone those who don't even acknowledge that God exists. And, And so they boast in God, and they're stating here that they will continue to do so, and then this section ends with that word Selah, right? That's a band you've probably heard of. Um, Selah is, I think we might have sang a song by them today, actually. All right, anyway. Uh, Selah is, is one of those Hebrew words. The exact meaning is actually unknown. Uh, from context, there is some idea of what it means. Most believe it means to take a, a musical break, just pause, stop, so we can change directions a little bit. Uh, and that's, that meaning certainly fits well with this text as you read it, as the direction of the psalm is about to take one of those crazy 180 turns that you just don't expect. Um, but before we do that, let me ask you, like, what would you categorize the psalm as at this point? Um, would it be a psalm of praise to God? It certainly fits that, right? Or a psalm of thanksgiving to God? It certainly fits that. Uh, I, I think it'd be easy to think that it's any of those so far, but it's, it's actually neither of those. And, and in fact, I, I selected the psalm today specifically because of the category uh, that it is. I, I went through a while back actually categorizing all the psalms we preached last year and, and, and that we were planning to preach this year uh, and found that there's one category we haven't even touched, uh, and that's the category of communal complaint psalms. Community complaining, right? There's an actual category for that. Uh, there are nine psalms that do that, and I, I selected it this week. I was telling Travis that if we don't mix these in as we go, uh, some summer we're going to end up with 
all complaint psalms, and nobody wants that. Um, although I did later think, you know, maybe we'll do that, and I'll just take a sabbatical and, and leave John and, and Sam and Ryan and Travis to figure that out. Um, but we're not. We're going to mix them in because we want to, we want to experience a, a variety of these as we're, we're spending these summers in the Psalms. And so um, we're going to keep reading here, and I want you to, to kind of, you're going to see why this is categorized as a complaint psalm. So uh, let's read. Uh, and remember that this is coming immediately after they've just made this statement. Uh, God, you're amazing, and we have praised you, and we will continue to praise you no matter what forever, right? Uh, and so verse 9, and... Uh, But you have rejected us and disgraced us, and you've not gone out with our armies. You've made us turn back from the foe, and and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision, the scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals, And it covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Wow. Uh, Monday morning, I, I do what I call just the first read-through. I have a to-do list, and that's what it's labeled as. Um, and it's not the first time I've read this text, but it's the first time I sit down and start thinking about uh, preaching this text and, and running it through my mind in that way. And I, I have these, these colored pencils like a child, uh, and I underline things as I go, and I write down observations, and I, I try to make any connections to other scripture that, that God brings to mind, and I start to ask myself these questions regarding things I don't understand. Uh, and, and last Monday, to be completely honest, when I got to the end of this, this portion, I kind of just stared at my, my Bible and asked myself, why? Why did I really select this text? You know that moment you're like, stupid, stupid, now I have to do this. And, and, and to be honest, it was because this, this sort of tone that you see here, this, the way of speaking to God just feels wrong. It feels like a lack of respect, and, and I think we read this, and it just kind of makes us uncomfortable. Um, you know, right from the start, we see this, this turn in direction from those first words, but now. Like, God, uh, we know all that you've done in the past, but what about now, God? What about this moment in history? And, and I want to be careful that we don't soften the edges of this. Um, it's undoubtedly accusations that are being thrown at God in anger. Um, did you notice that, that repetition of the word you, referring to God six times in, in verses 9 through 14? You did this, you did that, and you, God, you have done this to us. What's clear in this, very clear, is that they do not question the sovereignty of God at all. Um, not in these details, but they do seem to question the, the goodness of God. 
They seem to, to question God's love for them because of the way that they have been suffering. Can you relate to that? That, that questioning of God's love when you, when you suffer? Um, so in verse 9, they say that, that, God, you have rejected us and disgraced us. That's, that's quite a, a change from verse 8, isn't it? Uh, verse 8 where they're saying, uh, God, we have boasted in you and we will do so forever. Um, to this, you have rejected us and disgraced us. And then in, in verse 11, it says, we're like sheep to be slaughtered and, and scattered among the nations. I, I imagine the first century church felt that very much. You remember when Stephen was stoned to death and they scattered all over the region, kind of wondering, you know, God, what have you called us to at this point? Um, and then in verse 12, you, you've sold us for trifle. That, that's something with, with no value. Verses 13 and 14, all of our neighbors look down on us. Uh, we are a laughing stock. And when it says there that they have become a byword, that's not a word we use. Uh, a byword is a song that mocks someone so that others won't follow them. It's like if, if Holiday Inn had a jingle. And I didn't write a jingle for you. I just explained it for you. Um, but if Holiday had a, had a jingle, or someone had a jingle, and they explained, you know, we stayed at Holiday Inn, and we got bed bugs and lice, uh, so enjoy your stay too. Um, kind of a sarcastic musical uh, song that is designed to persuade you. And th in this case, they're saying that, that they become a byword, that people have, have actually had these songs saying, you know what, don't be like Israel because their God does nothing to protect them. It's an absolute mockery. Nothing is, is going right for them. I think there, there's times where we can, we can look at it, you know, just being Christians in the United States today where, where you feel this way, you know, this... Uh, the laughingstock of those around us, mocked because we boast in God, uh, losing the, the battle, in a sense, for culture and policy. Uh, maybe just mockery, you know, that you, you, still despite, you still worship God despite the fact uh, that the world is so clearly filled with evil. Um, so we see this. We see what's happened to them. And I, and I wonder if I took a poll today, if, I, if we were just to ask, you know, what... What's the cause for all of this, this suffering? What's the cause for all the disaster you see in the world? I mean, what, what cause would we give? What would we, what would we attribute it to? You know, you hear these people sometimes saying, you know what, it's God's judgment on the world. Um, is, is suffering ever the result of sin in the world? Romans 1 certainly confirms that there are, there are times uh, where God gives people over to themselves. <clears throat> Sin can also be a natural, or, or suffering can be a natural consequence of sin. For instance, if, uh, if we go get drunk tonight and decide we're going to go out for a drive afterwards, it could result in all sorts of disaster. Uh, the death of someone, the destruction of things, all sorts of horrible things could come from that. But, but is all suffering the result of, of a specific sin? And it's not. Um, it's the suffering of, of Israel in this psalm, uh, the judgment of God on them. It's not. I, I think many of us would, would honestly feel better if, if it were. If, if we could figure out a, a cause and effect so that we have some control over God, right? But we, we simply can't. The, the suffering here is not discipline or punishment. And that's why in verse 17, they, they're proclaiming their innocence. They, they say, we've not forgotten you, God. We've been faithful to the covenant. Verse 18 says, our hearts have continued to follow you. And, and our actions have proven that. They have displayed that we really have continued to follow you. 
Verse 19, they, they say, we've not turned from you, God, but, but you've broken us. And again, in verse 20, they defend their faithfulness, saying, you'd know if we had been worshiping other, other gods, idols. You'd know if we'd just simply forgotten you. And you'd know because you know everything. You're God. You know everyone's hearts. And so they're claiming to be innocent. And, and when we read this, I, I think we kind of question whether the Israelites really are innocent. Like maybe you just have wrongly assessed this. And so it's important to understand they're not saying they're sinless. They're not saying they're perfect. They're not saying anything like that. They're saying we have been faithful to the specific expectations of the, of the covenant. We have worshipped you. Uh, when our, our youngest, Berkeley, was very young, she, she slept in one of those toddler beds with the little mattress and the little plastic bed frame, whatever you call it. I don't know if there's a word for it. Um, but when we put her to bed, her there, to bed we, uh, she knew that she was not to get out of bed. That was the expectation uh, until we came and got her. And, and, you know, to put that in covenantal terms, maybe, you know, I will be your mother and you are not to get out of bed. And th- those are the terms of this, right? Um, and then one morning, Laura came in there and she found uh, Berkeley had pulled all the clothing out of her dresser just everywhere. Um, and the dresser was on the other side of the room. And uh, so it, it seemed that uh, she must have broken the covenant, right? Uh, was she innocent? No. Uh, but she had also actually kept the expectations. And the reason was that she actually shows us, uh, shows Laura how she had slowly used her feet to push the bed over to the dresser. Uh, and so that when she actually pulled all the clothes out and scattered them everywhere, she had managed to stay in bed the entire time. Um, that's just to say, yes, Israel here has sinned. Uh, that's why they're going to need a Savior, why they do need a Savior, right? Uh, but they're not, you know, they're not completely without fault, but they've kept the covenant. They have worshipped or failed to worship other gods, refused to worship other gods. Which is why this, this psalm is expressing to God that, that we don't deserve this. We've been faithful. Why are you not prospering us and protecting us from our enemies? Do you ever, do you ever think like Israel in this situation? You know, God, why has this happened to me? Why did this happen to, to my child? Why, I've been faithful to you. I go to church. I serve. I tithe. I, I strive to obey your word. And, and, and this, why has it happened to my family? It's this question we have, you know, what, what place does suffering have in the life of faithful Christians? Um, well, think about Job, right? His children die in a disaster. His possessions are destroyed. And, and as he mourns, his friends keep telling him, Job, you must have done something. You must have done something. What would you do? And he's saying, I didn't do anything. And if you remember that, right from the very beginning of the book of Job, God himself has declared Job to be faithful. God has declared him that. He hadn't done anything. And this, this portion of the psalm then ends with those, that well-known verse, you know, yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There, there are times in our life when, when despite our being faithful to God, we will experience suffering in the form of disease or a crime committed against us, a, a natural disasters, financial loss, um, health failure of, of friends or family or spouse, children. Uh, in fact, church history is just full of, of men and women who, who lived faithfully and yet suffered greatly. We, 
we recently finished the book of Acts, right? And uh, preaching through that, we, we could have looked at Paul's life and just called it an absolute disaster. You know, shipwrecks and unjust imprisonments and assassination attempts on his life and, and this that feeling of being abandoned at times, you know? Um, and I, I think that's why I find it so interesting that Paul himself quotes this verse in, in the book of Romans in a context that really is quite unexpected. In Romans uh, 8, 35-39, he writes this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and this is the quote from our psalm today, As for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he continues on, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of, of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, the Christians that Paul is writing that to, uh, and all those who read that letter today, know that the world that we live in is broken. Um, and with all the beauty in the world, there's also just sorrow from suffering. And the, and the message is clear here that disaster in our life is not easy, but it does not mean that God has stopped loving us or guarding us eternally. So I want to look at this, this last portion, okay? We've got four more verses here. It's, it's just um, four. They're very bold. Verse 44, or chapter 44, verse 33. It says, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down in the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Did you notice just how they're responding to suffering? Just how they're responding to those feelings of, of, of abandonment? I, I love it because, you know, they're not just pretending everything is, is fine. They're not just, you know, that cheesy smile. Everything's great. Um, and they don't turn their, their back on God. I mean, too, too often we, uh, we find ourselves so angry at God for what's happened um, to us or what's happened to those we love that, that we just turn away from God. I, I see it too often where someone says, you know what, because God allowed this to happen, I can no longer believe in him. And, and things like, you know, my, my father died, or I was abused, or my marriage is in shambles, or I, I've been faithful and I'm, I'm still single, or my, my sweet child has this disease or, or that, which is debilitating, you know. Um, this question that if God's in control, then I want nothing to do with him, and, and that makes me sad that people do that, because walking away from God, we're walking away from the only one who can actually help us. So question here is, is the psalmist mad at God? Uh, certainly appears that way, doesn't it? I think this is the question we ask. Is it okay that the psalmist is, is mad at God, angry at God? Do you, do you feel like you can be angry at God ever? Or is that an emotion that we're permitted to have? Uh, when I was a, a new believer, many of you know I became a believer when I was in high school. Um, and I, I lived at the time with this antagonistic, unbelieving stepfather. Um, and I was angry at God over that. I, I, I didn't like that this was my life. I didn't like that my parents were divorced. And, and at the time, I, 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 I wasn't sure that I could even say that to God. 
Um, and, and that was sad. It was almost this fear, like, will I get struck by lightning if I tell God how mad I am about this? Um, Psalm 44 should encourage you to, to know that you can bring your praise to God and that you can also bring your fears and, and your anger to God, that our, our Heavenly Father can, can handle our disappointment and frustration. Sure, it is a great thing if you can see the love of God in the midst of great suffering. I want that for you. But, it, but if you don't, it's, you also need to know that, that God will hear your frustrated prayers as well. He, he's not some tyrant king who will you know, punish you for unfiltered or uncensored prayers to him. And I, I just love in the, in the psalm, after all this complaining, all, all this anger, that this last portion is them going to God in prayer with boldness and desperation. The words, you can feel it in verse 23. Awake. Awake. You know, why, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. They go to God. And, and then in verse 26, where they pray, rise up, come to our help. It's like when when Job says of God, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Uh, It's like John 6, where where many were following Jesus, and and then Jesus says some stuff that really weirds them out, and they all begin to turn back, and Jesus says to the 12 disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Peter, I I love Peter. Um, he, He responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? You know, we, we must recognize that, that God alone is God, and, and so we go to Him in prayer, asking for Him to rise up and come to our help. You know, God, God never really sleeps, but... But Jesus did during his earthly ministry. And in Mark 4, when the disciples are crossing the sea, this, this storm comes and it's blowing away and they're afraid and they're worried they're going to die. Uh, and Jesus is in the boat with them and he's actually sleeping there and, and they're afraid. And so they wake him up and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They're afraid and they're frustrated. And yet they go to Jesus. And he does care. And he stands and he calms the storm for them. You know, where, where is their hope in that moment? It's in God. And what's the reason, you know, here in Psalm 44, what's the reason they, they give for God to redeem them here? Did you see that? Uh, the very last line of the psalm, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Steadfast love. It's translated from a Hebrew word, hesed, um, which is this, this covenantal love. It's about God's faithfulness. It's about his commitment to his people. Um, but I think the, the question we have here is, is how can they say the love of God is steadfast in, in this moment? Uh, and, and the answer is, it's about the presence of God. It's about God being there and his ability to act. The, you know, this, this past week I heard on the, on the radio a song by a guy named Greg Laswell. Uh, I had to look up his name. I didn't know that. And, and I know nothing of this man's faith, so I'm not commending it beyond this. Um, uh, but the words that he had certainly reminded me of the psalm. He's, He's singing, he says, This one's for the lonely, the ones that seek and find, only to be let down time after time. This one's for the torn down and the experts at the fall. Come on, friends, get up now. You're not alone at all. And that's the steadfast love of God for us. We're not alone. We're never alone. 
And I think the major challenge for us in the Christian life is to believe that God loves us even when we suffer. You know, we must learn not to judge the love of God for us on what we commonly call blessings. Career success and relationship joy and fruitful ministry and financial gain. Are those blessings? Yes, very much so. And do they come from God? Absolutely they come from God. Um, but do they indicate God's love for us is, is more in those moments and less when you face career failures or relational strife or ministry famine or financial loss? Not at all. Christian, when life is easy, you need to know that God has loved you so much that Jesus died on the cross for your salvation. But you must also know that when life is hard, God has also loved you so much that Jesus died on the cross for your salvation. And, and the cross, the cross tells us that, that God has done something. The cross tells us that, that God is awake. The, the cross tells us that he has rescued you eternally, no matter what you might be facing in this life. It tells us God is, is doing something. We need to know that, that God is doing something now, even if you cannot see what it is. Um, I want to come back again to that Romans 8, right? Because it, it paints this picture, the steadfast love of God with more detail. You remember he says, For I am sure that neither life nor death, uh, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has made a covenant with his people. Um, We've got to remember that. Uh, and, and this is, you know, particularly, I think sometimes we mix this up. You've got to remember, God has made a covenant with his people, with the church, but he has not made a covenant with our nation. He has not made a covenant with the United States. Um, and yet, you and I look at the world, we live in a world that is just overflowing with, with suffering. In fact, it's hard to read a psalm like this uh, this week and not think about the things that we saw in the media this past week, right? Uh, the killing of two African-American citizens by police officers. The, the killing of five Dallas police officers by an angry citizen uh, in, in seeming response to that. And, and who knows what suffering we're going to face this week. Yeah, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Um, any one of us could, could suffer terribly. And our faithfulness to God will not prevent that. So what do we do as Christians? What do we do when we look at the world around us and we wonder, God, are you asleep? What this psalm teaches us is that we continue to seek faithfulness to God as individuals, as a church, and we continue to, to go to him for help, and we continue to cry out in tears to God because he is the only one who can do something. He's the one who can comfort. He's the one who can heal. He's the only one who really knows the reasons why and, and what eternal good may come from what we only see as terrible. Uh, brothers and sisters, we, we will only see peace in the world when the world is at peace with God. And the peace with God comes through Christ alone. And, and so do. Do pray for the world. Pray for fertile hearts in which the the seeds of the gospel might be planted and grow. Um, so let me just close by this. I want to summarize this psalm uh, in a short way that I think helps cement it in your mind that you can carry it with you these days ahead. Um, God has helped us in the past. We need God's help now. And even though we have been faithful to the covenant, he has not helped us. And so we'll continue to ask God to help us because only God can help us. Because he is mighty and he loves us steadfastly. 
Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are so many joyful psalms, and we come to a psalm like Psalm 44, and we're thankful. We're thankful that we can see um, your people in the past struggle. I uh, see them in a world that was full of sin then look to you for hope. God, I ask for us, us here today, your, your people, that you would make us to feel free in, in your presence to speak to you in prayer without restraint. Um, not because our words are always right, um, but because you're, you're patient, Heavenly Father. Because you're kind and, and because Jesus has made a way for us to be counted righteous and to be adopted as your children and because you're patient and gracious and you hear us. Lord, we thank you for all that you are. And we pray this in the name of, of Christ our Savior. Amen.